This is Real Love Now, a ministry outreach of Pastor Don Allen in the Church at War Hill. As with every aspect of our ministry, the purpose of this broadcast is to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ to help you get real with God, fall in love with Him and His children, and discover your destiny now. Here's the message from Pastor Don Allen. All right, I want to preach to you this morning on following Jesus. Uh, and I want to ask you a question. How close? How close? Last week I began this sermon series on following Jesus and, and the Lord radically spoke to our lives. It's hard when you preach a message on Sunday and then you have to live it Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Come on now. But you have to make up your mind that the word works and we're going to follow the word. The word works and we're going to follow the word. Matthew chapter 4, verse number 18 begins like this. One day as Jesus, now notice this, as Jesus, someone see if you can remember when you're supposed to respond and help me with this, was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers. The first he mentions, this is going to be important for today, the first he mentions is Simon, also called Peter and Andrew. They were throwing a net into the water for they fished for a living. And Jesus called out to them, listen, he said, come, follow me. Come, what? And I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets, and at once they did what? Followed him. A little farther up the shore, he saw two other brothers, James and John, sitting in a boat with their father Zebedee, repairing their nets. And he called to uh, them to come as well, and they immediately did what? Followed him. It's about following Jesus. In other words, we stop leading our lives and start following him. They left their boat and their father behind. I think it's important to catch you up to where we were. Last week I said, if someone says, follow me, there's a pretty important question that you should ask. You should ask, well, where are you going? I mean, if you want me to follow you, where where are we going? So last week we studied that and we realized that of Luke chapter 15 that we're told exactly where Jesus is always going to go. And in Luke chapter 15, there are three stories in Luke chapter 15 that are very distinct and very unique. But yet they all make the same point. They make the point that he says there was a, in that story, there was a certain uh, shepherd who had how many sheep? 100 sheep. One of them got lost and 99 of them were still in the fold. And so he goes after the one that's lost. Then he tells the next story. He said there was a woman who had ten coins. One of them is lost. Nine are where they're supposed to be. And she searches until she finds them. And there's much rejoicing when she finds them. And then he says there's a father who has two sons. So we have a hundred sheep, ten coins, and two sons. And in this father with two sons, one of them is uh, the prodigal son. And one of them is the son that stays home. And what we find in each one of these stories is there's a representative God, of God, the shepherd, the woman, and the father. There's a representative of what's in the right place. The 99 are in the right place, the nine coins are in the right place, and the one son is in the right place. But there's also the one that's in the wrong place, the one sheep, the one coin, and the one son. And here's what we discovered last week that was so important. That the shepherd's full focus is on that which is in the wrong place. Listen to me now, that the shepherd is going after the one that's in the wrong place. 
I know how that may feel. Some of you are saying, but you know what? What about those of us who are really trying? Where do we get left in this story? Well, can I tell you that in the safety of the fold, in the safety of where the shepherd wants you to be, is good pasture and a place to be blessed. Come on, amen. I think it's best to describe it this way. Now, listen, this is just my side of the story. I'm sure they would tell it to you differently. But I am one of three sons. I have the best position in the family. I am the middle child. The position that many times people feel is lost or forgotten about. This is the way I describe it. When the oldest child is getting in trouble and the youngest child is whiny and in need, come on now, the middle child is just perfect right there in the middle. Come on, amen. Well, I say it that way to say this. To say there were times that the, that maybe my older brother going through transitions in life, that he demanded a such time that I felt a little left out. There were times that because my younger brother was so much younger, he's only three years older than the oldest grandchild, that he demanded so much attention and then as his formative years that I felt a little left out. But as long as I stayed the course, I want you to know that I found a safe place was in the middle, right where I was supposed to be. I don't know how many times I came home, I'd find a gift laying on my bed, and I would go to my parents and say, what is this for? And they would say, that's for being the same one in the middle. Come on, amen. And so I realized that when you're in the right place, there's right blessings. Can I get amen for that? But Jesus is saying, I will bless the ones in the right place, but my heart is longing for all of my children to be in the right place. So he, Jesus is going to find the lost sheep. But if you're going to be with Jesus, you're going to have to be about finding the lost sheep, the lost coin, or the lost son or daughter. When Jesus said, follow me, he said, I want you to go on that journey with me. Now, when you start and I start to respond to following Jesus in this definition, you have no idea what's about to happen. You have no idea what, uh, what, what will start to happen in your life. You don't know where you're supposed to start. You don't know where you'll end up. Following Jesus is not the easiest thing. I want to ask you today, have you ever had to follow someone driving in a strange place? How many of you, it goes like this. Have you forgotten I'm back here? Do you always drive that crazy? And I don't really understand the whole law of physics, but somebody will tell you I was driving the speed limit, and you're going, there's no way you were driving the speed limit. I was behind you doing 100. What is your limit? Come on now. And they go, oh, the limit of the vehicle. Come on now. But, but the other day I had to follow someone in downtown New Orleans. Now, that's not the easiest place to follow someone in downtown New Orleans. They said, follow me. I said, okay. So do you know what I did? I flipped my truck around. I prepared to follow them. As I did, Charlie looks over at me and he says, you better make it go. I said, what? He said, that man drives faster than Jason over there does, and there's no way you're going to keep up. I took it as a personal challenge. I got so guilty about the lights that were turning as I went under them, I just stopped looking at the lights and kept my eyes on his brake lights and just followed full speed ahead through downtown New Orleans. I figured I was okay because the guy had a badge and I just followed. 
I followed him as fast as I could, and, and we ended up ending up in the right place. But I followed because I didn't know where the journey was going to take us. I didn't know the stops behind, and I didn't want to get lost. You see, I imagine it to be similar when Jesus called the four that he wanted them to follow him. I'm assuming that they walked differently when they grew closer to him over time. I'm assuming that they walked differently when they were had gotten to know him than on the first day. Now look, I, I, I just, let me, let me let me just just look around here, just a minute. Let, let, let me let me see. Uh, who, who I'm looking for? Who's got the anointing to help me this morning? John, John, would you, John, would you come up here just just a second? Follow me, son. Mark, come come up here just a second. Help me, help me. Follow me. All right, good. Now, how many of you think on the first day that they followed Jesus that they were right up on him? They were probably back there with the crowd. He said, follow me. And they didn't know this guy. So they probably followed him back with a, you know, a safe distance. They didn't know what he was going to do. So follow me, follow me, follow me. And they just followed him. He'd stop for a little while, teach a little while, and they stayed back there with the crowd. Because they had just began the journey. I'm preaching somebody something you need to get right here. Let me just say this. If you're still following Jesus at the same distance you did when you first got saved, that's a problem. Because what happened when they ate with him? When they walked with him for days? What happened when they camped with him? I mean, it's sort of like when I go on a trip with people and take somebody over to Israel on a tour. There'll be a hundred people who don't know each other. And on the first day, they're like this. Hi. What's your name? And there's a respectable distance. By the tenth day of the trip, you know what they smell like. <laughs> By the y'all come on this side right here, right here. By the tenth day of the trip, watch this. They're like this. Man, this is awesome. You're like, you haven't washed that shirt in 10 days. <laughs> but they're right up there. On, come on, you're in this thing too, man. Come on, let's get some pictures. <laughs> you know, because the longer you walk together, the closer you get. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that by the end, by the what? By the end of the story, and I guess the end of the story, you could say it's the end, of, not really the end of the story because the story still goes on, but by the end, the Last Supper, I mean, that's kind of like the end, that there's, that one of the four, there was Peter and Andrew and James and John. Peter, Andrew, James and John. John said, he said, watch this now, don't let me fall. He said, I was laying back on the Lord. Who's your favorite, Jesus? John said, that's right. Oh, you're John. I guess I get to be Jesus. <laughs> who's, who's your favorite Jesus? Come on now. You all are. Did you see what happened was a guy who followed at a distance when he started, the more he got to know him, 
the closer he got to him. Sometimes life causes us to have to question how close we're going to get to people. And it's important that we know how close we want to be with Jesus. It's almost like when you start dating somebody. When you start dating somebody, I mean, I mean, <laughs> let me just go ahead and tell you, if you find somebody you want to date, don't start following them around everywhere. That's called stalking. <laughs> okay? Not what I'm advocating here. This is important. That when you start dating someone, the first thing you do is you, in a group setting, you kind of get a little closer and you see them from a different perspective. And when you get a little closer from a different perspective, sometimes you say, oh, I want to know them better. And they reciprocate, and so you go out and you get to know each other better. But sometimes you get into that close perspective and you're like, whew, dodged a bullet on that one. You know, I went out with somebody one time and I, I, I it had taken a while and Everything had gotten in order, and we went out, and, and it just took one date. No, I never wanted to go out with him again. Because I found out that they believed everything opposite of what I believed. They were, they were for everything that I considered unholy. And I said, back away from this one. Get out of this situation. You see, the closer you get to someone, you're going to find out who they really are. Can I just go ahead and tell you now, the closer you get to Jesus, you're going to find out how good he really is. But sometimes when you go on that date, it doesn't go bad. And then before long, not only are you walking together, you're walking arm in arm, and hand in hand. And then you're always walking together. What happens then? You come through that door and you've been walking hand in hand and then all of a sudden, one of them goes this way and one of them goes that way. You know what we call that? Marriage. <laughs> no, I'm playing. I'm playing. <laughs> I'm just kidding. You know what we really call that when the two people who have walked together now no longer walk together? Trouble in paradise. Now, saying all that, it's really important to me. Because the first one who says, I'll follow, is Peter. Peter jumps out of the boat with his father and leaves their nets behind, and he and Andrew race off. Peter gets to know Jesus. He gets close to Jesus. He wants to know him super well. But there's a problem. As well as he knows him, he gets so close to Jesus, people are like, hey, Peter, why don't you ask him? He loves you. I mean, you, James, John, and Andrew, you all the ones he takes with you privately. I mean, you're close. But Matthew 26 tells us about a change in the position of Peter's life. Matthew 26, verse number 58, reads like this. Meanwhile, Peter followed him. He did what? At a... The guy who was close to him now is walking at a distance. And he came to the high priest's courtyard, and he went in and he sat with the guards, and he waited to see how it would all end. The guy who said, no, 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 this isn't over. I'll die before I let you die, is now sitting outside watching the show. 
He's now allowed the distance of his life to keep him from where Jesus is. You listen to the words of this preacher for just a moment. I didn't come in here just to make you laugh and entertain you. I came in here to give you a word from the living God. And when you allow life to push you further away from God, there's problems in paradise. You cannot allow life. What happened when Jesus would, or, or Jesus would come and the Father would walk among the garden with the Adam and Eve? They walked with him in the garden. What happened when sin entered their life? They went and hid away from him at a distance. Why? Because of what was in their life. They didn't want to be near him anymore. And if there's a distance in our lives from God, we need to figure out why. Let me try that one more time. If sin has caused a distance between God and us, we need to figure out what it is that's caused the distance and get rid of it and run back into the arms of a father who loves us. Can I get an amen for that? But Peter is watching from a distance. This is in trouble because at some point, what? listen to this, it was going to cost him more to follow Jesus than he was willing to pay. Oh, well, I would never say that. I mean, this is the guy who pulled out a sword and attacked somebody, cut off their ear. But in a moment's time, when he realized that Jesus wasn't going to let him do it his way, he said, I just don't know if I can do it your way. And when it comes to in our life, this is the way we say it costs us too much. Jesus says, forgive. And we go, oh, no, 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 no. You can't ask that of me. Jesus says, do what I said and be holy. And we go, no, 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 no. But watch this. I think this is so important. He's still following Jesus. Just from a distance. That doesn't shock you, it shocked me. Because I don't know how many people have said to me, oh, 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 oh we're just going to take a break. You know, God's just giving us a, a rest right here about this. I'm not going to follow him as closely as I followed him. Can I tell you that a break, that I just got back from one, ought to be a time that you draw closer to him than further away? But instead, Scripture says we allow things to easily weigh us down. We get bitter and we want sin and these kind of things. And we still love Jesus. We back off. And here's where it really gets to be a problem. Because this little tiny young girl comes up to Peter and says, and I've never seen this before, says this. He says, she says, you're one of them. He goes, no, 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 no. No, I don't even know that guy. You go, well, I would never say I don't know Jesus. I'm following Jesus. No, 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 no. We say we don't know him when we say there's no way I'm going to obey him. Who was it? Somebody came up to me last Sunday and said, Pastor, you stepped all over my toes. He said, I was fine with that until you moved up to my ankles. Can I tell you that I had to live this this week over and over and over and over and over again? Lord, what should I do? How can I follow Jesus in what I'm doing? So then the little girl says, well, when somebody hears her and they go, yeah, yeah, I never noticed this before. A little girl, this is important to notice, it's a little girl, and then there's a group of people 
who then say to him, yes, you are one of them. And they said, we know you are one of them because we listen to the way you talk. While we were traveling, I don't know how many people said to us, y'all are from Georgia. I said, what makes you say that? And they said, obviously, your accent. They said to him, your accent gives you away. You know how to sound like him. We might know the right songs, but if we're not following him, we'll never obey him. And then he moves further away. Now, he's not close enough to hear He can only see. When your religious experience becomes more about watching the people around you in God's house than hearing from God yourself, I'm talking to you. This is truth. And we know that he can see him because the Bible says that Jesus turned and looked at him when he denied him the third time. The rooster crowed. He's looking. He can no longer hear. And then the girl has followed him and says, I'm telling you, and they all turn on him. This is so, so important. Because here's what we realize. The third time he starts cursing, swearing, I don't know him. And he looks at them and he tells them all where they can go, basically. The Bible says he cursed them. He condemned them. Watch what I'm about to say to you. When we allow a distance in our following, our relationship to other people will change. If you're not close to Jesus, the way you treat other people is going to change. And can I tell you what one of the best thermometers is about that? Are you ready for this? What comes out of here about them? Instead of loving your neighbor, you'll curse them. You'll say things that no Christian has any business saying. You'll say words that a righteous believer shouldn't, according to the word of the living God, that the well from which the praises of God comes, no vain babblings or curse words should proceed out of your mouth. That's what the word of God says. Don't make me buy an amen. But the problem is we're following too far away. And he begins to curse them. Thanks be to God that Peter didn't end up staying so far away. We don't know exactly what happened the first time that Peter saw Jesus after the resurrection because the Bible tells us that he appeared unto the women, then he appeared unto Peter, then he appeared unto all the disciples. We don't know anything about this hidden time he appears to Peter, but here's the beauty of that moment, and I feel like somebody needs it. Whatever happens in that moment is not quite enough. Because Peter is still beat down, and he goes back fishing. When he goes back fishing, one day he looks up, and on the seashore is Jesus. Now, remember what he did. The Bible said he served him or followed him from afar, from a distance. But now he sees Jesus on the seashore, and he says, enough with that. I love this. He doesn't even dock the boat. I I just have this... I hate to say this, but I have this Forrest Gump image of the boat just running into stuff. When he sees Lieutenant Dan, you know what I'm saying? And he jumps off the boat. 
Let me go. I can't believe he quoted that. You saw it. You're laughing. You know what I'm talking about. He leaps off the boat and he goes, Jesus. <laughs> and he leaps off the boat and he swims all the way to shore. And he runs up and he falls before him. And Jesus says, Peter, it's okay. You're home. Let's have breakfast. And then he says to him, come walk with me. Now remember who, attacked, who spoke to him first? A little girl. Then it was a group of people. And then it was the girl and the people. Never saw this before this morning. This is important. What? Listen to this. This is revelation. He looks at him and he says, Peter, do you love me? He says, Lord, Lord you know I love you. He says, uh, then uh, feed my lamb. Feed the little ones. He goes, well, Lord, okay, Lord, uh, yeah. He says, Peter, but do you love me, Peter? And he goes, he goes, yeah, Lord, I do. Feed the sheep. Feed the ones that are your contemporaries. Then he says, but, 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 Peter, do you love me? He goes, Lord, I've told you I love you. I'm sorry. And then for the third time, this time he says, then feed them all. Feed them all. I mean, what he's saying is, Peter, you'll never wander again. So important. While we were in Boston, Christine and I, and I'm going to close here in just a moment, Christine and I were coming down the hill. As we're coming down the hill, we're walking over, you know, um, not God's plan for my life, but we're walking all over Boston. <laughs> and we're walking down this hill. Somebody's like, it's not a far walk. And I was like, we're going to taxi back. <laughs> Uber. We get down this hill, and as we get down this hill, we're walking down, and... Uh, Charlie's really excited because there's where the Boston Celtics play and Converse offices and that kind of stuff. And, and as we're walking down through there, uh, she's, she's talking about other plans and where are we going. I'm trying to explain to her we're headed down toward the oldest serving uh, warship in America's history, and we're headed down through there. And as we get down through there, I look up and I see this ancient building, and I say, I say look at that. She's like, what? She thinks, like, you know, there's danger or something. And look. She's like, what? And I'm like, and I'm like, look up. And I'm on the wall was a hundred and something year old sign painted. It said White Star Lines. Now, some of you know immediately what I'm talking about, and some of them don't have a clue. But the White Star Lines are most famous for the fact that they built a boat and it sailed out of South, Southampton with 2,201 people on board, and the boat's name was the Titanic. So this was the White Star Terminal that would have greeted at some point the Titanic. And I just stood there in awe looking up at this terminal for just a moment. 
You know, the, the Titanic is an interesting story because there's a misnomer about the Titanic. Titanic People say that there wasn't enough lifeboats on the Titanic. That's why so many people died. But that's totally erroneous. There was plenty of lifeboats on the Titanic, and there was plenty of time to load the lifeboats on the Titanic. There was enough lifeboats for everyone to sail away to safety, but in the in the time that they had to load them, everyone would have been far away from the ship and the ship would have went down uh, without any loss if they had just taken their time because it took three and a half hours for the ship to sink. But here's the problem. In the first hour, most of the ship was left asleep with impending danger about to overtake them. And so for the first hour... The ships that were designed, the lifeboats that were designed to carry 70 each, the majority of them that were lowered to the water in the first hour, the largest capacity one that was there that would have held the 70 for sure, I mean, they're all the same, but the largest capacity loaded was 30. Smallest was 12, and the average was somewhere in between around 18 to 20. There was enough room to save everybody, but people became so concerned about themselves that they lowered the ships or the boats without making room for everyone. Oh my goodness. Somehow, in the final moments of the Titanic sinking, what occurred next is called the second great disaster of the Titanic. Because now these boats are all adrift and they know that they're empty. The boat sinks and there are hundreds of people screaming for help. Come save us! But instead of rowing toward the people, the boats began to row away from the screens. They were safe, they were secure, they were dry, they were, they were in the boats and they rowed away. They blocked out the screens of the people and they rowed away. Pastor Don, why are you talking about that? Because that is the concept of most churches following Jesus in this world we live in. Let there be empty seats as long as me and mine are safe and warm and our needs are met and everybody makes us feel fluffy and special. Go ahead and tell you, that's not this church and it's not this pastor. I'll never forget one day I was greeted by a group, of, a group of leaders from this congregation and they came into our building, my, my office, they sat me down and they, they were looking across my desk and they, and they said these words to me. They said, when will you be satisfied? It's like, put the finger down. When will you be satisfied? I said, what are you talking about? They said, the church is massive, multiple campuses, thousands of people. Aren't you not satisfied? I said, do you have any lost loved ones? They said, well, of course I do. I said, then I am not satisfied. 
I said, until it is impossible for people to go to hell from North Georgia, we are not done. We are not through. We will preach this gospel. We are not satisfied. As long as I have loved ones that need Jesus. As long as you have loved ones that need Jesus. As long as there's children crying in this community, does anybody care? Yes, we care. On those earliest boats, within the first hour, there was loaded one young girl. And bear with me in this, and I'll be done momentarily. She was a young girl, six years old. She was traveling with her father, John Harper. John Harper was a young evangelist who had had some success and he had been called to the great city of Chicago, one of the greatest cities on the planet at that time. He had been called to hold a, a crusade to thousands and thousands of people. And John Harper was sailing and he was among the first to be awakened. And so they took John, uh, uh, John and said, go get in the boat. And John took his daughter, wrapped her in the warmest things he had, set her in the boat. And he took that little girl as he was pushing her in the arms of a woman on the board, that lifeboat, and he kissed her on the forehead and he said these words, Daddy will see you in a little while. They lowered the boat without John Harper on board. John lifted his voice and began to run and scream to the decks that were sleeping, not being told about the catastrophe. He ran door to door screaming these words. These were the words he screamed at the loudest capacity he could. He said, get the women, get the children, and those who don't know Jesus, and get them to the lifeboats. Door by door, he kicked them, he screamed, he beat, screaming, get the women, get the children, and get those who don't know Jesus to the lifeboats. Many were saved because of John Harper's words. But we have no clue how many were ultimately saved. Because John Harper, when the ship went down, found the largest piece of debris he could find. He climbed upon the debris, half out of the water. And those who were saved all give the same account. They said the sound was horrific of people freezing to death and dying and screaming. They said, but above them all, there was a booming voice of a young preacher by the name of John Harper who cried out once they were in the water. He cried out with these words. He said, he said, believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. He cried out for hours, it seemed. Believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. One year later, they had a, they had a, a anniversary gathering of the survivors and a young man by the name of Melton. Melton came and Melton, as last name Melton, and, he, and Melton came and he took the podium and he was one of the first to testify about his experience being saved. And he said these words. He said, I was 19 years old when I boarded the Titanic. He said, and as I hung there upon a piece of debris in the water, he thought, I'm dying far too soon. I'm only 19. My life will never be lived. 
It said, and suddenly the current grabbed me and washed me close to a man that later would be identified as John Harper. And he said, John looked at me and said, son, do you know Jesus? And he said, all I knew to be was honest. He said, no, sir, I do not know Jesus. He said, John looked back at me and he said these words, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. He says, as quickly as the water had pushed me toward him, the water quickly stirred and pushed me away from him. He said, I hung there thinking of his words over and over again, thinking I was far too dirty that any way that God would love me. He said, I hung there on the debris with all my might, thinking about how much of a failure I must be to God. He said, and suddenly the current grabbed me again and rushed me toward Harper. And he said this to me. He said, son, do you know Jesus yet? And he said, no, sir, I do not. And he said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. And those are the last recorded words of John Harper as he said it to Melton. He sunk onto the water. Melton said, I sat there with no hope left but the words of a dying man who had died to save my soul. And I thought of another man who had died to save my soul. And I called on his precious name. And he said, I called on Jesus. And he said, not only was I saved, I was twice saved because they scooped me from the water and pulled me into the one and only boat that came back. We are not the only church preaching the gospel, but in my imagination, when I tell this story, as we walked around New England, thousands of boats, I can only imagine what name I would want to be written on that lifeboat. I would want it to say War Hill right there on the side of it. Come on now, because I want to be the lifeboat that goes back that says, if you don't know Jesus, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And you shall be saved. Pastor Don, why are you yelling? Because I'm representing John Harper. I'm crying above the voices of the demons that try to tell you that God doesn't love you. And Jesus has forgotten you. And I tell you, call on the name of Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Why don't you give God a praise like he deserves? Why don't you, why don't you stand to your feet and thank God for saving your soul? Amen. Hallelujah. Stand with me all over this room if you would this morning. I preach long, but I want you to bow your heads all over the room. God is in this room. I'm going to ask you two sets of questions. I will embarrass no one, I promise, but an honest question. Are you following Jesus as close as you once did? Are you following Jesus? as closely as you once did. If you're not following Jesus as close as you once did, now is the time to say, that's me. I'm not following him as close as I did, but with his help, I'm going to get as close as I can. If that's you, can I see your hand in this place? Would you lift it up, hold it up high, hold it up high? Literally dozens of hands all over this building. Thank you. 
Thank you for responding to that. You put that down. I'm going to pray for you in just a moment. But before I do, I have another question today. Here is the other question. This question is simple. If you were to die today, if you were to sink under the waves of this life's cares, would you be saved? Would you be heaven bound? Have you believed on the name of Jesus Christ for your salvation? With nobody looking around, everyone seeking the face of God, I'm not going to embarrass anyone. I echo his words. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. If you're here today and you say, Pastor, I need to know Jesus. This is my day. This is my moment. This is my time. I'm going to surrender my life and I'm going to be saved today. I'm not going to embarrass you any more than anyone else who just raised their hand before you. But I want to pray with you right where you are. But if that's you, would you hold your hand up in the air just so I can see to be praying with you? Would you lift it up high so that I can pray with you today? I'm looking for you. I'm waiting for you. I'm believing that the Lord has He's already saved four this morning. Are there others in this service? Thank you. Thank you. Are there others that will join? Thank you. Are there others that will join with these two? Are there others? This is your moment. This is your time. This is your hour. This is your point. Trust in Jesus. I'm just waiting for just a moment more. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Several lives are being changed right now. Thank you. Those that are even responding online. I heard about those many last week that responded online. Thank you. All right, I want every head bowed. I want you to pray this prayer with these that have raised their hand today. This is what the word says, that if we will confess Jesus Christ as Lord of our lives, that we would believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, that we would be born again. We're going to make that public confession. This is not something to be easily entered into, but it is going to change these lives for all eternity. Pray this prayer with me now. Come on, collectively, all of us. Jesus, by faith, I believe your promises. Heavenly Father, I am a sinner in need of a Savior. In Jesus' name, I repent of my sins. And by faith, I receive your grace. And now I declare from this moment forward, that Jesus came for me, he died for me, he lived for me, and by faith, God is my Father, heaven is my destination, and Jesus is my Savior. Father, I thank you that you have settled this in the lives of these many today. I thank you for what you have done, and I pray for every one of these who said, I'm not where I once was. Lord, I thank you that in their confession, now your strength comes alongside them, that in their weakness, your strength might perfectly show itself strong for them, and they will move forward, for Jesus' name is upon them to help them grow. Holy Spirit, equip them by the power and the grace of God. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ and all God's people said, Amen. God bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. Have a wonderful, wonderful.
That's today's word from Pastor Don Allen to help you get real with God, fall in love with Him all over again, and live out your destiny now. To learn more about our pastor and the ministry of the church at Warhill, join us online at warhill.com. Then join us in worship at one of our North Georgia locations. Service times are Sundays at 8.15, 9.30, and 11 a.m., where you will find real love now. Thank you.